Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter number 12. I want to talk to you tonight about your words, because the words that you speak are very, very important. Studies tell us that we speak thousands of words a day, um, and, and, and the words we speak are extremely, extremely important. Now, before we get into the Scripture verses tonight, I want to just mention several reasons why our words are so very important. First of all, they are important to other people. Did you know that your words have the ability, or maybe I should say you have the ability through your words to either build other people up or to tear other people down? Your words can edify or your words can destroy. Your words can make people feel better about themselves, better about their future, better about their circumstances, better about their life. Or your words can make people feel worse about all those things. And so in our relationships with each other, the main thing we have either going for us or against us is our words. And so that's the first reason they're so very important. Secondly, our words matter not only to others in relationships, but our our words are important when it comes to our Christian witness and testimony. When a Christian goes out into the community and uses profanity, takes God's name in vain, you say, well, John, I would never do that. Well, that's good. But even when a Christian goes out into the community or to a ball game or somewhere else and spreads gossip, talks about another person, it just does almost irrevocable damage to your Christian witness. The people in your world know that you are Christian, that you're a Christian. They probably know that you go to church. And so you have to understand, you almost have to look at your life through the, from their perspective and through their lens. And when they're looking at you, it's not that they're necessarily looking to watch you fall or hope you mess up or anything like that. But when a non-Christian looks at the life of a Christian, they are kind of looking to see Does it make any difference to be a Christian? Is there anything different about his life or her life? And so what I'm saying is, when we're out in the community, even when we don't think other people are paying any attention to what we're saying, they are. And when they see us or hear us using bad language or gossiping or slandering or something like that, to themselves, they just think, well, they're no different than I am. What's the big deal about Christianity? Why should I go to church? Because after all, they're Christians, they go to church, and they're basically doing the same thing I am. So your Christian witness is on the line. Other people are listening to what you say and to what you don't say. But as I think about words, I think there's even a more important reason why our words are so very important. And that is our words are an objective way to measure our spiritual development. An objective way to measure our spiritual development. You know, sometimes it's hard to know how you're doing spiritually. It's just, it's difficult to give yourself a spiritual. Now, you can go to the doctor and they can give you a physical. They weigh you. They take your blood. They check all the levels. They can do a chest x-ray. They can do scans. If you just spend enough money and go through enough tests, you can find out exactly how you're doing physically. But spiritually speaking, it's not quite that easy. There's not really... There's, you can't take my blood and let that know how my heart is doing. There's no imaging that the medical community can do to let me know how I am in my relationship with God. So the, it's kind of up to us 
to examine our own selves. In fact, the scripture says that. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, to see if you're saved, and so on. But the problem with examining ourselves is that we can deceive ourselves. In other words, I could, for the sake of the argument, I could think that spiritually I'm doing pretty well when God might look at me and say, John, you're not doing nearly as well as you think you are. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things. Let's say that together. The heart is deceitful above all things. And so with our hearts, we can deceive ourselves. Now before we get into the passage in Matthew, let me read you a verse. You might want to write this down. In James chapter 1 and verse number 26, the Bible says, If anyone among you thinks, notice that, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So the Bible is saying it is possible to think that you're spiritual, to think that you're close to God, to think that everything is okay in your relationship with Him and in your Christian life, and yet to be self-deceived. James is saying in the New Testament the same thing Jeremiah is saying in the Old Testament. You can't always trust your heart because don't we tend to be easier on ourselves than we are on other people? I mean, when I mess up, I can always find an alibi for that or an excuse for that or here's why I did that or whatever. But it's, in doing that, we're self-deceived. And so that's where it gets back to our words. Our words, what I'm saying is, are an objective way to measure our spirituality. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, let's begin reading in verse 34. In the middle of the verse, Jesus said this, For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Let's say that together. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our words come from what? Our words come from where? From our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The old country preacher used to say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And so by listening to your own words, or even by listening to somebody else's words, you can tell what is in your heart or what is in their heart. And so our words are a way of finding out what is in our heart. And so if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, it, 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 it actually is more objective than you might imagine. Just ask yourself this question. What have I been talking about lately? What have I been saying lately? And if it's too hard to do that on yourself, ask your spouse, ask your friend, ask your kids, ask somebody, hey, in the last month of our, or so of our conversations, what have I mainly been talking about? And if they say to you, well, you know, you've mainly been talking about how you're trusting God in this area or how you're believing God's going to bring something good out of this or, you know, if it's been positive and faith-filled conversation, you're doing well spiritually. But if they say to you, well, you know, to be, if you're asking for an honest answer, the last month or so, you have been complaining a lot. You, you have been uh, kind of talking about some of your problems at work, or you've been, you've been talking about some sin in somebody else's life. If they tell you that, that is an indication that spiritually you're probably not doing as well as you think you are. So all you have to do to get a good spiritual diagnosis is to listen to your words. Now, what I want to do in this message tonight is to give you four areas, four categories of things that we would tend to talk about in the course of a day. 
And I want us to think about how we can talk about or how we can use our words in each of these areas in a better way. Well, first of all, we're going to be thinking about the circumstances of life. That's probably the we probably spend more time talking about circumstances, what's going on, what's happening in the family, what's happening with our health, what about the economy, what about the government, what about work, just circumstances. The second area we're going to be thinking about is God. How do we use our, how do we talk about God? The third area is going to be when it comes to other people. What do we, you know, how are we using our words when it comes to other people? And then the final category is how about when we talk about our own lives? And especially our future, how are we using our words? Are we using our words in a positive, faith-filled way? Or are we using our words in a negative way? So first of all, let's think about our circumstances. Now, when it comes to circumstances, our words should be biblical. Our words should be biblical. And this is a challenge. Because it's not always easy as we go through life and we're having whatever experiences we might be going through. It's not always easy to look at a situation and to interpret that from the perspective of the Bible and then to know enough of the Bible to begin to actually speak biblically into and about that situation. And that's one of the reasons we're making all these booklets available about Bible verses, and we're in the process now of reprinting those, just trying to give you enough bullets in your gun so that as you go through life and you have different circumstances, you're able to look at a situation and fire the right bullet into it and speak properly about what you're going through. So I'm going to give you all through these four categories tonight some phrases that you can use when you are facing challenging or difficult circumstances. And you could add to this. You could reword this. You could probably say this much better than I have said it. But uh, I think actually what I said is pretty good. But I think you could maybe do it a little bit better than that. So first of all, here's something you can say when you're going through a, a, a difficult time in your life. You can just write this down, then I'm going to show you some verses. I hope you have your Bible tonight. We're going to look up quite a few verses. First of all, you can say this, it won't hurt me. It won't hurt me. Now, that statement may not be totally true in that it may hurt your feelings. It may, it may cause some pain in your life. But when I say it won't hurt me, what I mean by that is this situation that you're going through right now it won't destroy your life. You've got to believe that. God is never going to allow anything into your life that would destroy you. You say, well, John, people get sick and die all the time for some disease. It hurt them. It destroyed them. Friend, if they weren't saved, it didn't hurt them at all. It killed their body, but it didn't touch their soul. That disease just became an instrument that God used to help that person get to heaven. So don't worry about it. But what I'm saying is if you can kind of get that in your mind, this is not going to hurt me. It's not going to kill me. It's not going to destroy me then that's going to help you. Now turn back to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I probably would not have even used this verse tonight had I not read it this morning in my own quiet time. This is a tremendous verse. And I was reading today in Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 55, and, and I came back across this verse that I love so much. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. This is one of the bullets you need in your gun. You need this. The Bible says this, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, we're going to read the rest of the verse, 
But even if you just learn that part, it will have been worth your coming to church tonight for. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Say it with me. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You need to, you need to know that. So whatever has come against you, an illness, another person, a situation, whatever has happened out there, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. Now, let's read on. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. Sometimes the weapons that come into our lives are the tongues of other people. They're gossiping about us. They're slandering us. They're dragging our name through the mud. And we think, this is going to destroy my life. Look what they're saying about me. And I have no control over whether people believe that or not. Well, the Bible says at the beginning of this verse, first of all, this weapon will not prosper. But it goes on to say more than that. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to condemn them by arguing with them or by verbally shooting them down, you condemn them by your life. You just stay with God, take the high road and go God's way and don't feel the need to defend yourself and let God be your defender. But then the verse says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so that is a tremendous verse. Now, if you want to see something really kind of deep and this would be something that would require a whole other sermon. But look in the 16th verse. We're just so close, I'll have to show you this. Now, God is speaking here. And in verse 17, he's talking about this weapon that has been formed against you. But in verse 16, he tells us where this weapon came from. He says, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument or a weapon for his work, and I have created the spoiler or the destroyer to destroy. And so what that verse is saying is any weapon that ever comes against us, you say, well, I can't blame God for what somebody else is saying. No, but God created the person who's saying that. And so one of the things about believing in the sovereignty of God is this. Even if from our perspective, the weapon came against us from another source, even another person, the person who believes in the sovereignty of God says, yes, that may be true, but God allowed this person to do what they're doing or to say what they're saying. And if God allows, see, that, that is the freedom we have in, 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 as Christians to know that God is absolutely in control of our lives. Even the bad things that come in, he allowed them to come in. In fact, that verse says, he made the weapon. And then the next verse says, but the weapon will not prosper against you. And so God has allowed the weapon into your life, not to destroy you, but to develop you and to make you more like him. So I've said this before, as Christians, we're not at the mercy of another person. We're not at the mercy of the devil. We're not even at the mercy of ourselves. As Christians, we are at the total mercy of God. And so no weapon formed against us will prosper. The only person going to prosper from the weapon is you. You're going to grow if you will respond properly. So get your eyes off of the weapon, off of the person or off of the situation. Get your eyes back on God who allowed that situation and say, God, bring something good out of this. And we know that he will. So the first thing we want to say is, hey, this is not going to hurt me. The second thing we can say, because when, and we have to remember this. The Christian life is a battle. It is a battle. It is spiritual warfare. We can't see our enemy, but we have one. We can't see all his uh, demonic minions out there, but they're there. 
But in the Christian life that, that is a spiritual battle, it is comforting for me to know that all these weapons that may be formed against us, they're not going to prosper. But you know, God is so good, it, he doesn't stop by saying it's not going to hurt you. God says this, and this is the second phrase I want to give you under this point. Something good will come from this. Something good will come from this. In other words, if I'm in a, fi- if I'm in a battle and somebody says to me, John, they're going to be shooting at you, but if you'll put on this put on this clothing, the bullets won't hurt you. Well, I take great comfort in knowing that the bullets that are being fired at me are not going to hurt me. Now, that's, that's great news. But God says, I've got something even better than that. Not only will the bullets not hurt you, the bullets coming against you are going to be used for your good. You're going to be better off since somebody fired a bullet at you than you would have been had they never fired the bullet. And we're not going to look the verse up tonight, but the only, we, most of us know it, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those called according to his purpose. Weapons and all. Doesn't matter what it is. It's not going to hurt you ultimately. And if you'll respond properly, God is going to use that for your good. And so what I'm saying tonight When you're going through a difficult circumstance, your words are very important because your words reflect your heart. And sometimes your words can steer your heart. I mean, technically speaking, our words come from our heart, but if we will learn to speak biblically, our words can even affect, it can have a reciprocal effect on our heart. And so you're going through a tough time, you need to say things like this, it's not going to hurt me. God's going to bring something good out of this. And you can add two or three more phrases. And let that be in your vocabulary instead of, how dare they say that about me? Or why would God have allowed this into my life? Or if God loved me, or if he was really my friend, or if she were really loyal, or I can't believe they would do that. That is, that is, that is destructive vocabulary, whereas what I'm giving you tonight is will build you up and see you through it. So when it comes to those circumstances, it won't hurt me, something good will come from this. Let's see if we can re- remember those two lines. Ready? It won't hurt me, something good will come from this. Say it again. You believe that? Say amen. All right, that's number one. That's when it comes to circumstances. Now, how about God? You say, well, what do you mean, God? Well, people talk about God all the time. And we need to make sure that when it comes to God, write this down, that our words are filled with faith. Our words are filled with faith. You see, when we say, well, why would God let that come to my life? Well, if God loved me, well, I'm not saying that we can never say that. And, and I understand that can sometimes be part of the grieving process, and that's okay. But when that becomes a, part, a steady diet of, of our vocabulary, something's not right. So when it comes to God, our words should be filled with faith. Now, you're in Isaiah 54. Look at the very next chapter, chapter 55. And again, I just read this this morning, not even thinking about, I wasn't anywhere near thinking about a sermon at the time I was reading this, but it spoke to my heart. In Isaiah 55, look in verse number 8. God is speaking. And God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so what is God saying? God is saying, listen, out there in life, there are going to be a lot of situations you get in that you're not going to understand. They're not going to make any sense to you. 
And what God is basically saying is, if I were you, it wouldn't make any sense to me either. Because from a human perspective, you're limited in what you can see. God is saying this, just remember, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You can't crack my mind. You can't figure me out. You can't see what I'm doing. And so, in light of that truth, when we start trying to figure out, well, now, why would God have allowed this? Here's the phrase you need to get in your vocabulary. It's life change. Any of this. If I only preached on, on one of these categories tonight, it by itself is life changing. I'm giving you all four. So, when it comes to God, here's what you want to say. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. I don't have the foggiest idea what God's doing. Somebody may say to you sometime, well, John, or, or they, may say to you, they may say to me, John, why do you think God would have allowed me to go through this? Or they may say, John, why do you think God would have allowed you to go through that? Well, I don't know the answer, but I know this. God knows what he's doing. So if you can get that not only in your mouth, but if you can get that in your heart, it's going to change how you view God. God knows what he's doing. Say that with me. God knows what he's doing. So I've already given you three phrases that on the last Sunday night of this month or the last Wednesday night of this month should send you out of here with a renewed faith. It won't hurt me. Something good will come from this. God knows what he's doing. Now, how about when it comes to other people? Because sometimes this is where we really get in trouble. Well, when it comes to others, our words should be filled with love. Now, remember, when it comes to God, our words should be filled with faith. But when it comes to each other, our words should be filled with love. Now, let me show you a couple of verses. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter number 13. Fantastic passage of Scripture. John 13, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And in verse number 35, in fact, if you look up in verse 34, my father used this on the night of the Maundy Thursday Lord's Supper service. This was his Scripture. This is why we call it the Maundy Thursday service. John 13, 34, a new commandment or a new Maundy that I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus is saying, you love others the same way I love you. Now in verse 35, notice the importance of this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so when it comes to other people, conversations about other people, whether we're talking to another person or sometimes we get in a conversation and another person's name gets brought up and now we're talking about another person and this is where we get in trouble is we fly off, (laughs) at least I've done this, sometimes we fly off at the mouth and say something that we shouldn't say. So when it comes to love, our words should be filled, when it comes to others, our words should be filled with love. Now I'm giving you several phrases here, I'm not going to make you say all these back to me, but let me give you some phrases to write down. The first thing that you can say to another person, I mean, it will diffuse I can't say it will diffuse every argument because sometimes it it won't. But it will diffuse a lot of arguments if you just say this, I love you. There's something about those words. If somebody says to me, hey, John, I love you. Well, it's hard for me to be too mad at them. They love me. And and so, uh, or if I say that to somebody else, how are they going to be too upset with me? So just, we need to say I love. Now, sometimes you get in a conversation and somebody else's name gets brought up. And maybe you love them but they've aggravated you, or they've gotten under your skin a little bit. And uh, what you want to say in the flesh was, well, if you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't be talking like what you're talking. Or if you knew what they said about me, 
or if you knew what they said to me. So I'm trying to give you a bullet tonight. You can put in your gun. You can fire into that conversation when somebody's name gets brought up that maybe there's a rift or, you know, the relationship is not all that you would wish it were. You can say this. Well, you know what? I love them. Now, if your heart's right with God, that's a true statement. They may not love you. Can't stop you from loving them. I learned this a long time ago. Just because somebody else doesn't love us, that doesn't mean we can't love them. Another person can't stop you from loving them. They may not love you back, but you can still love them. And so if you just, that'll just end any gossip before it starts. Just say, well, you know, I, I love them. And if, it, if the conversation just goes on and it, I'm just saying it, it, it's a bad enough thing, you could even say something like this. You could say, well, I'm sure they mean well. Now, that's not as good as I love them, but it's better than I hate them or how scoundrels, rotten, dirty, rotten scoundrels they are. You can just say, well, I'm sure they mean well. And if that's not uh, good enough for you, you could always say this, well, they've been through a lot. And if that's not good enough for you, you could say, well, they always dress nice. <laughs> or their shoes are always shined. Or, boy, they live in a nice house. Or they're generous with their money. I'm saying find something positive. It's, we live in a very negative world. And negativity is like a snowball. It's just like the longer we're around it, the bigger that snowball gets. And it's so easy just to... This is where all gossip comes. And it's how we respond or what we say when it comes to talking about other people. I read a thing years ago. I was a kid and I read this in our home back in Tennessee. And it said, if I can remember it correctly, it said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events, the ball game, the trip, the vacation, what's going on. Most of our conversation is on that level. But then it said small minds discuss people. And so we don't want to be saying too much about people. And if somebody just really, you know, gets, gets uh, going, turning against you too bad, and I hope it doesn't come to you, you can always just say this in your own prayer. Say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And don't hold it against them. Uh, what they might be saying. I was reading a devotional one day this week by Dr. Kendall, and he was talking about bitterness. And he said when it comes to relationships, he's had it both ways. He's lived with bitterness and he's lived with peace. And he said the peace is better. And I think all of us would agree with that. And so don't let other people get under your skin. Remember this, even if they're a weapon that turns against you, God made the weapon. God allowed them to turn against you. God has promised the weapon will not prosper. It will not destroy you. They will not destroy you. Not only that, if you respond properly, something good's going to come out of it. You say, God, why would you let this happen to me? God says, remember, I know what I'm doing. My ways are higher than your ways. And so love them, pray for them, and keep your words filled with love. Uh, let me tell you the other fourth point, the fourth category. When it comes to the future, this is very important. Because we all have a future. We don't know how long it is, but we all have a future. I mean, whether it's the rest of this day or 50 more years, we've all got some kind of future out there. So when it comes to the future, our words should be filled with hope. With hope. I think there are a lot of people who use their words to, uh, I'm not going to say they destroy their future, because I'm not even, I don't I'm not going to say that, but I will say this. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Listen to this verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And so I'm not going to look out into my future and start speaking words with no faith and no hope. No, and you shouldn't either. When you look out into your future, you should use words that are full of hope. Now, turn to Jeremiah. It's right after Isaiah. Another great verse, but maybe some of you don't have it marked. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Familiar verse, and God is speaking, and here's what God says. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Now, that right there is encouraging. God's thinking about us. Tonight, God is thinking about you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. God is not against you. God is for you. And then it says, to give you a future and a, what's the next word? A hope. So when God, think about it, in heaven tonight, God is, let's just use me. God is thinking about me. And God is thinking, okay, I know what I'm thinking about, John. They're peaceful thoughts. They're not bad thoughts. They're good thoughts. Uh, I've got planned for John a future, and I've got planned for him a hope. So when I look out into my future, I don't see doom and gloom, and I don't think about the sky falling. I don't think the wheel's coming off the train, and I don't think about all. I just think, man, I don't know what it is or how it is. But God has a tremendous future for me. Now, friend, that's just a better way to live. In just a few minutes when I leave here and go upstairs to teach this same sermon to the students, uh, I'm not going to be walking down the hall saying, well, that was no good for the adults. I'm sure it'll be horrible up here too. No. I'm going to say that's the best thing the adults have ever heard, and it's the best thing these kids have ever, are about to ever hear. I mean, neither extreme is true, I know. But I would rather go into a... I would rather go into a speaking engagement thinking hopeful thoughts, faith-filled thoughts, than to be sitting on the front row knowing that I'm coming after the next songs thinking to myself, well, this is going to be the worst thing they've ever heard and the worst thing I've ever done. It may be both, but I'm not going to walk up the steps thinking that. I'm going to walk up the steps thinking, I think God gave me a word. I know God's with me. God help it to be good and make it the best it can be. So you have to apply that to your life. When it comes to your future, Hey, don't worry about it. Don't dread it. Don't fear it. Just say, you know what? God's given me a future. God's given me a hope. And if, if God said that, it's good enough for me. Now, I'm about to conclude the sermon. Are you ready for that? Say amen. It was a trick, and you all said amen, so you're ready for it. You probably all heard the story. And one of the things about speaking to those students, I don't know if I'll tell this story up there with them tonight, but they've not heard any of the old stories. So I go up there and tell all the old stuff, and they have never heard it. They're like, really? Never knew that. It's been very refreshing. I don't have to get up new material. Just tell me old stuff. But you guys are a little bit older, and so am I, than the high school students. So you have probably heard this story. But as I was preparing this sermon, I thought that would be a good place to stop. About the lady years ago who lived in the deep south. She lived in a small community, farming community. And she was known as the greatest cook in the community. She always cooked big meals for her family, for her friends, church socials, all kind of community, always at her house. She could cook anything. She had great appetizers. She had great main courses. But she was known more than anything for the desserts that she made. And anytime anybody would ever come to her house, sit at her kitchen table and eat, they would eat the salad or the appetizer. They would have the main meal. And right about the time they were all finished with the main meals, people started saying to this lady, hey, what's for dessert? What did you make today? What's for dessert? And she wouldn't necessarily tell them what it was, what kind of dessert she had made. 
But when she started going around, picking up everybody's plates to take them into the kitchen, getting, making room for the dessert plate to come out, she would always say this to everybody at the table, hang on to your fork, hold on to your fork, hold on to your fork. They'd say, why are you telling us to hold on to our fork? Hold on to your fork. And she would say this, the best is yet to be. Now, you've all heard that story. I realize that. In fact, the story goes on to say that at her funeral, she was buried and she was laying in her casket, and in her right hand, she had a fork. And somebody walked by and said, now, that's strange. Why would anybody have a fork in their casket? And they were able to say, well, you know, she always said the best is yet to be. And since she was a Christian, had Jesus live in her heart, that certainly is true now. The best is yet to be. She's in heaven. Old story, familiar story, tremendous lesson to remind all of us tonight, no matter what we're facing or what we're going through, if we will respond properly with faith in God, the best is yet to be. Now, I don't expect you when you leave here tonight to have all those bullets right where you can get on them just like that. I don't expect you to have all those phrases that, you know, neatly memorized in your mind, but just some of them. When you're going through things in life, it's not going to hurt me. God's going to bring something good out of it. God knows what he's doing. The best is yet to be. If you can just remember one or two of those, I'll guarantee you go from here tonight, you'll be able to say, you know what? That was time well spent in God's house on Wednesday night. Amen? Father, take the message. Take these phrases. Take these verses that we've looked at tonight. Take these parts of verses, these phrases of verses that we have looked at tonight. Seal them to our hearts. Register them in our minds. And God, help us to word them or reword them or come up with new phrases that we could use when we're going through things in life where we're tempted to respond with anger, bitterness, negativity, blame, all that stuff. And God, help us not to do any of it, but help our words to reflect what is in our hearts. And Father, I pray that in our hearts there is faith towards you and love towards others. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed tonight as we prepare for our invitation, what's in your heart tonight? Is Jesus there? Is Jesus living in your heart? It may be tonight that as I started that sermon with the words of Jesus, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It may be that right early on in that sermon, the Holy Spirit said to you, you need to get saved. The reason your words are so bad is because your heart is so bad. And the reason your heart is so bad is because your heart is full of unforgiven sins. Your heart doesn't have Jesus living in it. You've been trying to improve your words and control your anger. You've been trying to treat the symptom. But tonight, God's put his finger on the real problem. And the real problem is not your words. The real problem is your heart. Your words just reveal the true problem. And so tonight, would you just pray this prayer? Say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Clean my heart up. Give me a new heart. Save my soul. Now, if you prayed that, say this. Say, thank you, Lord, for hearing that prayer and for answering it. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be.
And Lord, during this next song, this commitment song, give me the courage to leave the place where I'm now sitting, to come to the front, to shake the pastor's hand, to shake a minister's hand, and to share with that minister that tonight I just prayed to be saved. Others here, you may have been saved before tonight, but God is leading you to come forward in this setting to say to my dad or to another minister, hey, tonight I want to come for my baptism. I need to take that step. Tonight, I need to join this church. Tonight, I need to make a decision for God. Father, I pray that decisions will be made during this next song that will change eternity and change people's lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, amen.